Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Covering the sports betting landscape from coast to coast, this is Betting Across America on VSEN, the sports betting network. In hour number two, betting across America. Dave Ross and Amal Shaw here at Circus Sportsbook in Las Vegas. Amal really enjoyed the first hour. Thanks to Mike Peranio for joining us. Rex Hoggard of the Golf Channel is going to join us in hour number two this hour. And we'll keep you updated of the leaderboard. Right now, Scotty Scheffler still with a five-shot lead over Shane Lowry. Six-shot lead over Cam Smith and Charles Schwartzel. But we'll get Rex's opinions. Then we'll talk some UFC in hour number three with Reed Coop. But I believe, sir, you had a question for me. I do. It's golf-related. So I want to ask you this. So... In tennis, everybody loves Roger, Rafa, and Novak. No doubt. And, you know, based on personality, you might uh, kind of align yourself with one player the, over the other. Everyone respects their talent. But explain to me why in golf, Jordan Spieth got off to a great start, still a young guy, could have a potentially great career. Nothing to dislike about Nothing. him. Nothing. Scotty Scheffler seems like an incredibly likable guy. There's other players that have come along. Phil seems like a fan favorite because he seems to be relatable to the average guy out there. But what is it, or what was it about Tiger that has captured everybody's imagination for the last quarter century? And, you know, I would say golf and tennis, maybe I'm leaving some other sports out, but it's not that I ever hear, you know, people respect Jordan, but there are people that don't like Jordan. Mm -hmm. There are people that respect LeBron, but don't like LeBron. Why is it in golf? There doesn't seem to be any animosity towards certain players, but one player captures everybody's imagination in Tiger. For me, in growing up and living through the Tiger era, if you will, I've been at press conferences with Tiger. I had the good fortune of having some conversations with him. And just in those moments, I think what the players have always respected about Tiger, single-handedly, he is the guy that made the revenues through the roof forevermore. For the rest of the golf world. They know that without Tiger Woods' effect in the late 90s, if that doesn't happen, not saying purses would stay down. They would never be where they are today. Phil Mickelson's in all kinds of hot water with the Saudi Golf League. There wouldn't even be the thought of a huge moneymaker potentially if it wasn't for Tiger and, and then Phil kind of riding on those coattails as the second most important player in this generation of golf, right? So I think that's what it is for the players. For me, I'll never forget this having this conversation with my mother who loves Phil Mickelson. And I love Phil, too. But back then, I was really, you were a Tiger guy or a Phil guy. Sure. I was a Tiger guy. She goes, you know, he never looks like he's having fun, David. Phil's always out there smiling, having a good time. And I go, that's why I love Tiger. Because he doesn't want to be your friend. He wants to kick your boot. And that's what I respected about him. And it's that Jordan, it's that Kobe, it's that singular instinct of I'm not trying to buddy up to you now. Maybe later in life, and I think that's what we're seeing now with Tiger at 46. Sure a little bit more warm and, and, and cuddly and smiling and those sort of things. My mom respected Phil because he's always been that way. But I like Tiger more back in the day because I want the competitor. It, when I'm talking about athletics, sure, I want to see the greats be great. I don't need you to be friends. I need you to win. And Tiger won. And when you win at a clip like we just hadn't seen before with those 14 majors the way he got him now, of course, adding that 15th in 2019, we just hadn't seen that. And I think Jack, I, you know, I'm not old enough to really, my dad can resonate a little bit. Jack had a little bit of that with the 18 majors, 19 runners up. He didn't wasn't out there trying to 
be your friend necessarily. He wanted to beat you. Right. Right. And I'm not saying that Phil gave away some majors for for politeness, because I think Phil wanted to win just as badly. But I think in a way, I looked at it almost like a cover. Like, I'll play this role. So if I lose, maybe I won't get the heat. Tiger didn't care. The guys in the locker room, they might not have liked him. They, they feared him. And Tiger went in there like Larry Bird at the All-Star game <laughs> and the three-point shoot. Who's coming in second? That's one of that the great was, lines of all time. That's Tiger Woods' mentality in his prime. And I respect that. I just I, I, I get it that it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I'm all, that's what I want my great athletes. I, I love what you said there. The thing is what I noticed, and I didn't get a chance to ask Mike this, I don't know if there's any player team that captures the imagination from a betting standpoint the way Tiger does, right? People bet the Cubs, and they end up winning the World Series, and unfortunately, people are like, I'm going to hold on a ticket. I'm like, don't do that, because the ink's going to disappear off the ticket, so it's not going to be worth anything to you. (laughs) But, you know, you look at the liability that was at stake. I can't see any player in the field, uh, past or present in the last two decades, outside of him, that all of a sudden he's coming in off this type of catastrophic injury where you're going to see an inordinate amount of money pouring in on this player to be able to win. I think there's a lot of people that deep down know Tiger couldn't win, mm-hmm. but they still bet him because of the affinity they have. Josh Towers, I love Josh, but if you ask Josh tomorrow what's Tiger going to shoot, Josh would be like, eh, probably a 36. You know, <laughs> you know, like he loves Tiger, right? Like he's such a huge Tiger fan. I love it. And my, my point is, though, I've never seen a player in an individual sport kind of capture the imagination. Look, everybody who grew up during the Jordan era or saw him play, if you were a fan of whatever team he opposed, whether it's Utah, and I always think of them because they lost two titles to him, Phoenix, whomever it may be, you respect the greatness of Jordan. No doubt. But it's amazing to me how much Tiger gets bet on. Well, I'll tell you this, and it's off the top of the show, I'm not sure if we said this on the air or off, but you know, I cashed two tickets already, three right. tickets already in Tiger, and I have two still outstanding top 20 and top 10. I don't think those bets are dead. He's four over par. You go, well, no shot. Tiger's that one guy that I, I know is not going to mail it in tomorrow. It still means something for him to beat some of these young whippersnappers out there at the age of 46 to show them that I'm not a ceremonial golfer. He said that many times. I will not be that guy. And so I think that's why when Jack won it at 46 and 86, it wasn't that long after that he said, you know what? I'm not going to go out here. and be, I'll go to the senior tour. I'll go to the champions tour. Yeah. I'm not saying that's what Tiger's going to do, but he won't stay on this tour unless he believes he can win. And when he believes it, I believe it as a better. And that's why I cashed those tickets this week. I was not going to bet against Tiger Woods on one leg. Hadn't seen him since 2020. All of those factors. I knew he thought he could win. And his mentality is just different. Sure. And that's what separates the all-time greats that we're talking about versus greats. And that's why I just thought it was kind of fool's gold when I saw plus money to make the cut. I thought, oh, he's going to make the cut at this place. If he can walk, he'll make the cut. My worry was, can he walk? And I think he's answered that question. He is limping around a little bit today. But we'll see. I don't think those bets are dead. They're not looking good right now. But again, Scotty Shefford does have that still commanding lead. Uh, But it has been cut a little bit. Shane Lowry just made another birdie. So that lead is down to four. Remember, it was high as six. So we've had a kind of a two-shot swing with Shefford boging four. And now he had a birdie here for, for Lowry to get to 500 through six. So, again, Lowry is a pedigreed player as well. He's an open champion, uh, British open champion. And now, all of a sudden, it, it will tighten up because these conditions today are still very, very tough. Glad you brought up Lowry right now because the one thing I think he's done is he's put actual, the four-shot lead, he's actually put on 
scoreboard pressure on these guys. You know, we talk about in college basketball all the time. You cut a lead from 10, you get it down to under six. Now it's a two-possession game. That's actual scoreboard pressure on mm-hmm. somebody. And I look up here and Scheffler threw five, Lowry threw six. Today, Scheffler uh, is minus one, Lowry minus two. Makes a difference. Now, all of a sudden, we've got a potential matchup. Great point. And to that point, right now, I right winner. Scotty Scheffler, I'm seeing minus dollar seventy-five. Not overwhelming. Well, when Mike was on, he was minus two dollars. Now he's come down a little bit. You mentioned the day today when he started at even money. Changed the dynamic. And now Shane Lowry, by the way, five to one. Just saying. So you tell me there's a chance. <laughs> we'll see how that plays out. I do want to get back to Major League Baseball here very quickly. And obviously, besides the first two days, the huge story is that the Metropolitan is going to win the NL East after winning and beating the Nats twice. Are there any storylines here that you think might already be like, come on, just slow the roll a little bit here. I didn't play. I ended up not playing the Metropolitans. They were 88 and a half uh, for their win total. It's the Nats. The Nats, if you look at the makeup of this team, they're not going to be a very good baseball team this year. But I will say this. Mad Max gets his win in his Mets debut yesterday, and they go out uh, with McGill and opening day starter, and he puts in a good effort. We haven't seen Chris Bassett. We're going to see him. So all of a sudden, are you excited for Chris Bassett? Well, this is an all-star, <laughs> but like I look at it and I go, the Mets might have more pitching than I give them a little bit of credit for. Not saying I wish I'd taken that 88 and a half. We'll see if you get some adjusted totals out there across the batting market, but I have to be encouraged because, you know, you get out of the gate slowly, it gets a bad Nats team and all of a sudden that can switch your mentality. Is there just too much to read in after just two games? Well, I think there is. I, I think uh, no reason to get overly excited. But the one thing that impresses me with the Mets, and it's a huge change from what we've seen the last couple of years, Dave, they've been able to score some runs. They got a lineup. They've scored 12 runs in the first two games. This is something that's been plaguing this team for the last couple of years. You look at DeGrom. How many starts did he make and they would only score a singular run never for him? score for him. Yeah, it's exactly. So for me, I think that's the difference when you look at this Mets team going forward. Um, I'll tell you what, though. You're Washington Nationals, and I say that because you were in the D.C. area oh, for a them. long time. Boy, 70 and a half? That single-A team's going to have a hard time getting there. I would have to play the under there. Uh, very quickly, we mentioned earlier in the program that there was a big bet, 360K yeah. on the Cardinals against the Pirates. Last check was 2-1 Pittsburgh. 4-2 the Lou in the fifth. <laughs> So all of a sudden, you got to be feeling much, much better about that wager. Especially if you can get that runner on second base right now with less than two outs home. You know, that singular run is huge because you gave Big. a great example of the run line beating you, oh. when you were a long time ago. <laughs> Similar situation could possibly present itself here. Uh, you know, the other team I was going to play pre-flop, and I know that's a poker term, before Major League Baseball began, I was going to take the Brewers as my lock. There's no such thing as a lock in this business. Sure. I was going to take them as a lock to win the Central, and um, they're over. They're getting mollywhopped by the Cubs right now, 7 nothing. I know because I just came from Chicago after eight years there. They're going crazy. I didn't think the Cubs are going to be very good this year. They could get off to a nice start here against their divisional rivals. I hear everything you're saying, Dave, and it's been a fun hour and a 15 minutes, <laughs> but i got to rain on this parade of yours. Let's not go crazy here, buddy. they got 160 games remaining after they lose this game because they're down a touchdown right now to the Cubs. Slow your roll a little bit. They're going to be all right. Yeah, by the way, I can tell in Chicago they're really out supporting the Cubs right now. Probably about 20,000 people at Wrigley on a day game in the middle of Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock. i got to tell you this, though. Just from being there at Wrigley Field, it's my number one ranked ballpark. I haven't done them all, done a lot of them. It's my number one ranked ballpark, and I will say this. It's cold nine months out of the year in Chicago. 
the the two weeks of summer you get in Chicago are the best two weeks you're going to get. But then it's like it's already winter. I mean, the change of seasons there, Amal, is brutal. Best city in America, Memorial Day to Labor Day. By the way, best ballpark you've been to, Oriole Park at Camden Yard. It's a great ballpark. Boog's Barbecue is fantastic. When we come back, I'm going to give my best bets tonight for the UFC. I got some, I think I got some good ones out there. We'll see how they play out. We'll get them to you on the other side. Come on back. It's Betting Across America right here in Visa, the Sports Betting Network. Dave Ross, this is Betting Across America right here on Visa. And I always, I don't know, Amal, because I'm, I'm still kind of new. I just moved here in September. Mm-hmm. Every time we do shows, whether it's South Point or whether it's Circa, I just get energized. Like, you see people here watching the Masters, watching baseball. Like, it's just fun. It's a, it's a fun atmosphere to be in. It's going to be a great atmosphere tonight in Jacksonville for UFC 273. It's going to be electric. Two title bouts. On the fight card. And then you've got Shemaev taking on Gilbert Burns. And uh, whenever you have Hamzat on the card, people go crazy to see maybe the second coming, they say, of maybe a heavier Habib Nurmagomedov. We'll make those comparisons in time. I'll get to my best bets in a second. But I mentioned with Mike Peronio, the two main fights in the title fights, huge favorites. Alexander Volkanovsky right now is over a $7 betting favorite. And I think uh, on first strike, we're going to have Reed Kuhn on. And Reed does a great job with his models. And he said the models kind of bear out that this is the right price. Like, sometimes I go, man, it, it, like you're talking about the Korean zombie getting another title shot. He's tried and true. He's been there, done that. And if you want to try to make a case. Uh, I picked Aljo. And maybe make a case to lower the price tag a little bit. Luke I, I don't think Sterling wins a fight. Of potentially finding an avenue for it. Here is Lou with his case for Volk inside the distance. Volkanovski's in his prime, used to play rugby at 205 pounds, and I think he feels a little disrespected. If you ha- if we look at it, he's completely dominated. Brian Ortega uh, beat Max Holloway twice, and before that, it was Aldo. And when the Korean Zombie fought Brian Ortega, who's not a striker, Ortega pieced him up. This is a bad spot for the Zombie. And so I'm Volkanovski inside the distance, plus 175. There's Lou. And, and Amal, the reason why I play that is Lou is finding value at a plus price tag on an over $7 favorite. So like that's an interesting way to go. Like I'll instead of laying the seven plus, I'll go ahead and take the plus one seventy five. Now he's got to get the job done inside the distance. You see now, look at that at BetMGM. He's up to eight dollars, eight bucks over the Korean Zombie. Now look, I've said this and I'm on record. I think there's a parlay buster coming today. I don't know if it's going to be Zombie in the big upset. I think he's a live dog. Obviously, I understand why Volk is, is priced the way he is. I think Aljo is a live dog in the co-main event in another potential five-round fight. And I do think Gilbert Burns, we're seeing some money come in on Burns, is a live dog at plus 360. Very quickly, Jordan Sherwood out of Chicago makes a case for Aljo, who, by the way, is the champ, and Peter Yan is the interim champ. Here's Jordan on why he thinks this dog might be biting. Aljo, I, I don't think Sterling wins this fight, but I think people got to remember, too, he was in that fight for two, two and a half rounds. It really was the third end of the third and into the fourth round that, that Jan started to kind of 
cruise and, and pull away. But Sterling is a tough out. Of the three fights, which are all major favorites, big underdogs, I think Sterling is the livest of all three dogs between the Korean zombie, uh, Gilbert Burns, and, and, and Sterling himself. I think he's the one. If you're going to play an underdog, you play Sterling because of his funky style, his striking, his athleticism. I tend to agree with Jordan on that, Amal, that out of those three big dogs in those three fights, two title fights, and then uh, Kamzat Chimaev against Gilbert Burns, that maybe that is the best one and the best opportunity for an actual upset. Again, if you haven't listened or watched uh, First Strike, please do so. It is available wherever you get your podcast right now, YouTube TV. Uh, I'm biased. I think it's a pretty darn good show. I wonder when you look at those price tags, and now $8 for Volkanovski, if you equated that to an NFL price, okay, would it be a 17-point favorite? That was my exact number. Right? Yeah, right on. So in that scenario, Amal, do you say the 17-point NFL dog, if I give them no shot to win, mm-hmm. then you throw them in a bunch of parlays, not fearing the upset? So I will tell you one thing that's very specific to me. If that 17-point dog was at home, mm. I wouldn't throw the road team in there. If the, if the team Great was point. on the road... I would take a shot with that. The other thing I would, though, urge you to do is look at the calculations and determine how much does it increase your ticket by. Because if it doesn't do it to a significant number where you think, okay, it's worth the extra $100 or whatever it may come out to, you put yourself at risk or in peril where it can happen, where you can lose. In tennis, I see people do this all the time, Dave. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, you lose a match. Mm. Diana Yastrzemska down in Columbia on Friday was a $7 favorite. Loses in a tiebreak in the third set. In UFC, I don't know the sport as well as you do, but you know the one thing in boxing that always makes it tough is you're, you might be down nine rounds on the scorecard, but one punch could potentially change the entire fight. Excellent, excellent point. Something to think about before you blindly throw some of these big favorites in. To your point about home field advantage, mm-hmm. okay? Alexander Volkanovsky will not be getting cheered like the Korean Zombie will be getting cheered for tonight. Knowing that fan base, knowing the MMA fan base, and knowing how big an underdog the zombie is tonight, I do think people will get behind that underdog. We've seen it historically in boxing, where crowd, they, they expect to see Godzilla, and then all of a sudden the underdog has got some fight. They'll get behind that fighter. It's not going to be like when Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson in Tokyo and the, the crowd didn't know how to react, so they were almost mute the whole night. This will not be a mute crowd. They will be raucous, and if the zombie gives them a reason, Volk's going to hear that. Yeah, I mean, we already talked golf, a sport I don't know that much about. We're talking MMA next. What does Elliot have in the third hour for us? Figure skating? Uh, My question to you is this. Yes, sir. In boxing, people go to see certain fighters because they're fans of them, right? When Errol Spence fights against Ugas, they're not going to be rooting against Ugas. They're rooting for Spence. In MMA, why are there certain guys that are somewhat of a villain by nature or is it personality? And what's the reason for that? Because, see, to me, the one thing I will say in boxing, every fighter I know, and if you live in Vegas, if you ever go to the gyms, there's an immense amount of respect for the opponent because you understand how hard the camps are to get ready for that fight. Excellent point. Look, Floyd Mayweather, we talked about him in the first hour. He knew how to wear the black hat. Sure. And he made money off it, mm-hmm. right? He was a marketing genius that way. That's why he fought on Cinco de Mayo and said, hey, let's go. Let me fight uh, Marquez. Let me fight, you know, like, give me give me somebody that I know is going to bring a fan base with yeah. him. And that's what he did. He was very smart with that. Colby Covington tried to go that route. He went down to Brazil, made some nasty comments about the people of Brazil. And I think he wore that hat 
it's actually been profitable for him. Got so it. there are fighters that have kind of followed that model. We might not like it. We might think it's indecent. We might think that's a cheap way to make a buck. But also, this is you got to promote yourself a little bit in this sport. Unlike boxing, you're not going to make necessarily life-altering money unless you're one of these top dogs. Conor McGregor's done that well. Yeah. Right? Like, I apologize. Absolutely nobody! <laughs> like one of the greatest lines of all time. So those guys that kind of figured out the M.O., and, and yes, the MMA fan base will then react accordingly to those fighters. I don't think there's going to be a case like that. I'm trying to think on the, on the fight card tonight. Maybe Chimaev is getting a little bit of that Hamid, uh, Habib Nurmagomedov treatment where people look at him and go, you know, he comes out and he goes, I'm going to smish you. I can't do his accent very well, but smish. I'm going to smish. And, and they love it because they go out and then they smash. And when they do that, you go, wow, it's the Mike Tyson syndrome. It's the Ronda Rousey thing. Like I've always said in my lifetime, watching Mike Tyson enter a ring, <laughs> that was terrifying. Watching Ronda Rousey in her prime coming out to Joan Jett in the Blackheart. I mean, a lot of fighters were defeated before they got in the octagon. To your point, I've been very fortunate. We've both been able to cover. I've covered everything, right? World Series, Super Bowl, still the greatest event I've ever been to was as a fan. 97, I went to the Tyson-Holyfield fight where he bit his ear here at the MGM. You Grand were there. Garden. Yeah. Did you and, get part of the ear? I wish, but I can tell you one thing. I've never, ever, you, you mentioned the Tyson entrance, and this was not when Tyson was invincible. I mean, it was really unbelievable in terms of when he walks in, there's just a level of anticipation. I, I always encourage people one thing. Maybe there's a certain sport you may not be a fan of boxing as an example of it. If you come to Vegas, try to come during a fight weekend mm. and go to a fight, especially a title fight. I went to the uh, Wilder um, fight against uh, Tyson Fury. The <laughs> energy that is in the crowd for a championship, particularly a heavyweight fight, is nothing like it in sports, in my opinion. That's so awesome. Uh, by the way, um, I would just say this. Vander Holyfield was plus money that night. I know why, because I bet Evander Holyfield that night. I got a story. Go ahead. Well, I mean, like my take, this is not a hot take, people. I just was one of those guys that believed if Evander Holyfield fought Mike Tyson 10 times, he beat him 10 times. I, you really were kind I remember you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago off air, and you were Easy so money. confident in that. Easy money. And it was like Tyson took, him out of, he took himself out of the fight because he couldn't beat him, couldn't bully the bully. The one guy that wouldn't allow him to be bullied. And you'll see a lot of that in M- MMA. I wanna, I'm want i going to take underdogs. I couldn't believe Holyfield after whipping Tyson the first time they fought, and that was the second time, yep. that he was still an underdog. Because you get it. There's hype, hysteria. Right? So when I know that a fighter, especially in combat sports, not by the way, later on I'll give you my best bets that I have tonight. But when I see a fighter that is not intimidated by the, the bully, I'm going to bet that fighter. You bring up an excellent point. Our producer, Britton Hess, who produces Odds On every day, he always talks about some people or teams are given credit on a betting line for what they've done a long time ago when maybe it should change. And I think that's an excellent point you bring up. All right, we're going to talk more about that in the last hour, certainly uh, with Reed Kuhn joining us. But when we come back, Rex Hoggard's going to join us from the Golf Channel. I cannot wait to pick his brain about all things going on at Augusta National and whether or not we should think about fading Scotty Chef for tomorrow. Probably not a good idea. Come on back. It's Beeson, the Sports Betting Network. This is Betting Across America on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Get everything you need to bet on baseball this season with 24-7 streaming daily best bet emails, including advice, data, and strategy for only $19. 
all our digital MLB guides at Visa.com. Well, they're available now. And Adam Burke has futures and team previews and best bets for all 30 teams. Plus, Jason Weingartner's rather. He's got MLB future bets, trends, and much more. Sign up today. Get full access to Visa through the NFL draft for only $19 at Visa.com slash spring. Dave also alongside Amal Shaw. This is betting across America here on VEASAN, and I know that I just can't get enough talk about Augusta National. Who better to talk about it than Rex Hoggard from the Golf Channel, who joins us from Augusta right now. Rex, great to have you back in the program. I think Amal and I have been trying to convince ourselves over the last couple hours that there's going to be some drama before this whole thing is said and done. First two days was all about Tiger. Now it's all about Scotty Scheffler. Is there any reason for the betting public to say, not so fast, crazy things happen, certainly on the back nine at Augusta National. I had an editor that reached out to me about an hour ago and asked me far too early what I was thinking about writing today. And I kind of looked at the leaderboard and I said, um, I guess I'll just ask the question if it's over. And if you make me answer right now, the answer is yes. Because <laughs> when he's up six and he doesn't seem to have any flaws in the game and he doesn't seem to be making any mistakes, it's hard to imagine how he can go backwards. Now, that being said, I mean, look, there's a paradigm of hope for everybody in the field, and you only have to go back about a decade to Rory McIlroy. I mean, I think we're about to anoint him a Masters champion not that long ago. Certainly, Jordan Spieth, it looked like he was not only going to win a second green jacket, but he was going to win all the green jackets. <laughs> Neither one of those turned out well. So there's certainly a precedent set for guys to look and, okay, this can't happen. Now, that, that being said, there haven't been many cracks in that game, and I, he'll be tested. It's the old boxing thing. He'll get hit in the mouth, but I don't think he's going to respond poorly. Well, here it is. He's still a $2 betting favorite right now, even with this sizable lead, so maybe you think that should be a little bit higher. But, Rex, I think you just hit on something here. You know, you look at, say, Jordan Spieth with the short game. We knew what an excellent putter he was, maybe the best in the world when he was winning majors, and Rory McIlroy, you know, his his advice over or his his advantage over everybody was his driver. Scotty doesn't seem to have a singular thing, but maybe he does everything well enough that there just doesn't seem to be a major flaw that you go, oh, that could be the bugaboo. It just seems like he's jack of all trades and maybe masters of all. I think you're right. I, I did this the other day on live from where statistically he's in the upper half of the field in every category. So whether that's fairway hit or driving accuracy, or greens and regulation or putting, whatever the case may be, there's no area of his game that you would immediately point to and think, oh, that's going to be a problem. I think the part that's separating this week, and it's been a dramatic turnaround for him, is he's won three of his last five events on the PGA Tour and gotten to world number one. Along with that comes a tremendous amount of confidence, and I think that's what you're seeing right now, whereas I don't think he's that different of a player than he was, let's say, last fall when he went into the final round of the Houston Open with a one-stroke lead and didn't get it done. Mentally, though, I feel like he's so much stronger, and he realizes that I don't have to be perfect to get it done, not even at Augusta National. Rex, what's the number of strokes going into tomorrow you feel someone needs to be within of Scotty to put actual scoreboard pressure on him? I mean, I guess there's precedent set as far as the uh, year John Vanderbilt collapsed and Paul Lorry won. I think that's, what, seven or eight strokes if I remember correctly, as far as coming from behind in a major championship, it's hard to imagine that happening. But there is a history at this golf course where they have a really, really good formula set where it's going to be difficult on Saturday and it's probably going to challenge you on the first nine on Sunday. But the formula for success is they let them play on the back nine. And there's 
roars and there's eagles and there's birdies and you're going to have runs and you're going to have players who have a chance to win that you probably thought were out of it, you know, through the first nine holes. My guess is we end up with a very, very similar situation. So I don't know anything within five, six, seven strokes going into tomorrow. You have to think, well, at least I have a chance if I get off to a fast enough start and I get a little bit of help because they will need some help from Scotty. No question about it. And I think, you know, you, we can remember when Charles Schwartz won it and went birdie, 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 birdie to win that green jacket. So the fireworks can happen on the back nine at Augusta. It will be gettable for those players. But, but Rex, I wonder if you're Scotty, and Amal made this point. I thought it was an excellent point. He's going to have some sort of lead tomorrow. Does he say, okay, I can afford to shoot even par on Sunday, and that should be good enough to get it done. So he takes the foot off the gas or do you keep trying to put that gas pedal down and say, all right, these guys could come from behind, so I can't think in terms of playing too cautiously? I think that would be one way to think of it, and I'm sure somewhere in the recesses of his mind, he's thinking to himself, if he goes into tomorrow with a five- or six-stroke lead, that, yes, even par is probably a pretty good score. It would probably be a dangerous proposition, and he would probably fight that urge to think that because what he has done up to this point has given him a five- or six-stroke lead. So why wouldn't you just keep doing the same thing? So my guess is, again, with the confidence he has that he's acquired really over the last two or three months, he's going to continue to be aggressive and not crazy aggressive. I've kind of pointed out numerous situations this week where his caddy, Ted Scott, has talked him into doing something other than what his instincts probably told him to do. He talked about on Thursday wanting to hit what a, what he called a fun shot, which was a three-wood, and it was a high, hooky three-wood into the 15th green. And it's it's what he enjoys doing, but he ended up laying up. And then he, he pitched on with a wedge and two-putted for par, knowing that that's the way you win the Masters. Rex, I've got to ask you the obligatory Tiger Woods question. We went five minutes, though. Yeah, I know. And uh, listen, That's a, that's a victory, man. I did not expect that coming. <laughs> David Rex, go with me here a little bit on this one. What he's doing, and Dave and I were watching him limping around. He doesn't have a chance to win this tournament. I'm not going to sit there and suggest this is as good as 97, but for a guy who's accomplished everything in this sport, is a legend in, in sports in general, has all the money in the world to be out here in these conditions and struggling a bit and physically ailing, I, I think this is so impressive and talks about his competitive greatness. As I sat and shivered on the range this morning for about an hour watching Scotty Scheffler warm up, I was thinking the exact same thing because he's got, he has nothing to prove. I mean, I think we can all agree on that in society, and that's kind of hard to find something that we can all agree on. But Tiger has nothing to prove. Winning here in 2019, he made it perfectly clear. That was the top of the mountain to come back after everything he has been through. And it's been painful. It's been difficult. I can't imagine how hard it's been for Tiger Woods. I mean, we've seen glimpses of it throughout the week so far. But he, he, my guess is he's keeping a lot of this inside. But when the camera seems to be a little bit away, you do see how much of a toll this is taking. And I do wonder what's driving him, and maybe this is driving him just to get through 72 holes. Maybe that's what he set for himself. That's the bar that he wants, and he's going to get there one way or the other. We've seen that determination in the past. I guess my question going forward would be, is he willing to do that again? Because it's only going to get more and more difficult. Very quickly to that end, I've got people that are huge golf fans in this gambling space as well who are convinced that he's going to win another major. Rex, have you seen enough that in your mind that Tiger Tiger believes it? We get that. But do you think physically that we're going to see him in the winner's circle at another major championship before his career is done? 
Man, I got out of the Tiger Woods doubting business a long time ago, but no. I mean, there's nothing in the body of work that suggests that's on the horizon. And it's more of what he says than what you see, because there's certainly been good enough swings. I mean, I've seen swings this week where you're like, oh, man, that, that looks like the old guy. Like, that, that's impressive. They're fewer and far between. And then when he talks about things like he did yesterday afternoon, saying that, well, the leg, the right leg that, you know, he crushed and needed multiple surgeries and almost lost, that's one thing, right? That's going to be the challenge of just walking around 72 holes. It's always going to be there. The back, which he was rehabbing and dealing with even before that crash in early 2021, that hasn't gotten any better. If anything, it's probably gotten a little bit worse. And the swing is what it is right now. I don't think he evolves the swing at his age, everything he's been through. So what you see this week, sure, he can probably clean up some things, and there's certainly some rust that he can get better at. But I don't. I, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around the idea that somehow he can refine that into winning another major. You got 90 seconds to go here with Rex Hoggard. Follow him on Twitter, Rex Hoggard, uh, GC for Golf Channel. Rex, very quickly, the elephant in the room for me, not named Tiger Woods this week, was Phil Mickelson and his absence. He is still the reigning PGA Championship. That major is going to happen next month. Do you think he's going to be able to defend that championship? And what might have to happen in order for, for that to happen? I think he's able to defend the championship. To be clear, I don't think he's been suspended either by the PGA Tour. And, and the chairman here at Augusta made it clear that he was not uninvited. That's not a word. That's the word he used. <laughs> the Masters. I think this is all right now self-inflicted, I guess would be the best way of saying it for Phil. He is taking a leave of absence to deal with whatever it is that's going on in his life. The key is there yet. I'm not saying that the PGA Tour won't suspend him at some point, but I don't think that's happening now. And as far as the PGA, no, I don't think he's going to play. Wow. Absolutely fascinating. That that um, will be historic for the wrong reasons if he cannot defend his championship on his own accord, as you mentioned, Rex. Hey, we really do appreciate you each and every week joining us here uh, leading up to this Augusta National. This has been a fascinating couple of days. I uh, can't wait to see it plays out tomorrow. But, Rex, we really appreciate your time. Thank you guys for having me on. There Thank he you. is, Rex Hoggard. Again, follow him, Rex Hoggard. GC. So he put it out there. He doesn't believe that Tiger's game is good enough to win another major right now from what we've seen. So maybe cleaning up some things. But that's food for thought before you bet those majors uh, next month for Tiger Woods going forward. I would agree with you, but I also like the point Rex made about not doubting him because when you look at what he did on Thursday, can he put it together for four days is the question. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm on record. I I miss Phil. I do. I miss him at these events. I'll be, it'll be sad if he cannot defend his championship at the age of 51 next month. Come on back. It's betting across America right here in VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. This is Betting Across America on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. BetMGM welcomes you with a special offer on the tournament going on in Augusta. Simply place a $10 money line wager on any golfer to win, and if any golfer makes a birdie during the tournament, you're going to win. 200 bucks in free bets regardless of your bet's outcome. Just use the bonus code VSIN200 when you make your very first bet. Enjoy golf like never before and find out why nothing beats a win at BetMGM. Download the app, go to BetMGM.com, use the bonus code VSIN200 to win 200 bucks in free bets if any golfer makes a birdie during the tournament in Augusta. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued is non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Mississippi and Nevada. 
Dave Ross alongside Amal Shaw. This is Betting Across America right here on VEASAN. We mentioned Augusta. We had Rex Hoggard on last segment. Great job for the Golf Channel. He's there at Augusta. And he just watched Scotty Scheffler, hello friends, make a birdie on the par 5 eighth hole. He is now at 11 under par. I say again, he's now at 11 under par. He is a six-shot lead over Cam Smith, who's made the biggest move going from 200 to 500 for the day, tied with Shane Lowry, who has gone from three to five under. Charles Schwartzel hanging around this town corner. He's at four under par, but he's now seven shots back. Scotty Scheffler, three under so far on the front nine, which is the tougher side before he plays the back at Augusta. Who are you on the show with tomorrow? Wes Reynolds. What are you guys going to talk about? Because there's not going to be much in the way of golf. It's over. Okay, Amal Shaw has declared this is over as he still has 10 holes to play today. Plus 18 tomorrow. Plus 18 tomorrow. But to your point, now, Scotty Scheffler. Remember, 10 minutes ago, you got Scotty about a buck fifty, three dollars $3 to carry this home. By the way, though, uh, the reason why I'm saying this is over, because of what you said, which you asked Rex, which I thought was a great question. You said there's not a singular thing that he does poorly. No. He is good and efficient at everything across the board. And I think that makes a difference despite potential weather conditions. And he's been able to really move forward with it without any hiccup. I think you're right on. Again, if, if there was a weakness, and that's what we were trying to identify, you could say, oh, maybe he gets to, you know, maybe his potter is a little bit off. He's now top 15 in the world in putting. Last year, he's outside of the top 100. This year, top 15. There's nothing Scotty Scheffler does poorly. And that's why, America, he's the number one player in the world. If this was Tiger Woods, we were, there would be no question, right? It's done. It's a coronation. I think it's, we're getting close to that point now. And again, those numbers are shifting across the golf market to over $3 now that you got to lay. Today, before this round began, about even money. That has changed dramatically as he's gone out, and he's really putting that foot down now. And Rex said it. Hey, if you're doing this, you don't have to lay up. Tomorrow, maybe, at certain points, if there's any trouble, you kind of take the foot off, ease back a little bit, put that hand up on the steering wheel, and just kind of glide yourself back in. But he is playing flawless golf. One bogey, and again, four birdies already. Three under par so far on this side. It just looks like Scotty Scheffler, with the confidence knowing you're the best player in the world, it does feel like it's just a matter of time that he's going to get that first major championship and slip on that, what did you say, 42 regular? Yeah, probably probably 42 regular. But 42 regular. Probably I would 40. be, I don't know, one of my 36 short, <laughs> whatever the hell that is. But it looks like it's pretty darn good. You know, this month, after we get through Augusta National and now Major League Baseball is back, there's going to be a new football league that starts as well, the USFL. Yeah, I'll watch. I wonder when you look at the NFL draft, and we get to the Malls A list for the prospects here in this, by the way, this month. It's already April. We're getting down to the nitty gritty. And I want to look at some guys that you think might have the biggest upsides, okay, that you've identified in the A listers here. And obviously, we're not just talking because we always talk quarterback and maybe some non quarterbacks that you really think have some legitimate upside for your A listers. Yeah, uh, let's start out with the guy, Garrett Wilson. I think he's going to be an absolute stud. Dave, last year when Ohio State played Alabama in the national title game, 
I said outside of Justin Fields and Mac Jones because they play the quarterback position, I thought Garrett Wilson would have the best pro career of any player in that game, and it was filled with pros on both sides of the ball. I think this kid's an absolute superstar. Go back to his first catch in the playoff he had against Clemson, if you remember. Climb the ladder, gets a single hand down Mm -hmm. and inbounds. I think his athleticism, what he's been able to do, tremendous athlete and really likable, intelligent young man off the field. I think he's going to be tremendous. Want to go to another wide receiver, Dave. I'm going to tell you right now, you know, we've been talking a lot of MMA today. (laughs) If we're getting in a fight, I don't care if it's Kayvon Thibodeau, Aiden Hutchison, any offensive lineman. I want Drake London. Drake, this dude is as tough as they come. I want Drake London if I'm getting into a fight. This is a guy to me that with his size could be a huge impact, could have a huge impact for any team as a rookie in the red zone. I like him a lot. His toughness is undeniable. Had an injury, but he still had 88 catches in eight games. Really, the one thing that stood out for the USC offense all year long I think Drake London's got a chance to be really impactful. I saw the uh, the went to Notre Dame SC game this mm-hmm. year, South Bend. They, I, I was doing it wrong. They do this, the fight on thing, the the song people, song girls. My, my, my question is, why did you go? Well, I went there once so that Tim Murray had to do one of my shifts for me, which was very nice of Tim to do so I could go to the game. Mm-hmm. It's me and my boys, and we've now picked, we're going to do a college football game each and every year. We're going to start in 2020, and then some COVID thing hit. Sure. So that got all shut down. So we had to do it this year, and that was the first place we picked because we had never been to Notre Dame Stadium. Notre Dame mollywopped them, by the way. But, uh, yeah, they were, they were shutting down the Drake Londons of the world at that point. Team was in chaos. I actually look at SC as a whole, and they're going to be so much better, I got to believe, with Lincoln Riley next year. Like, I think a marketable upside, if we will. I'm buying into SC this year. Oh, way to go out on that limb, buddy. Um, by the way, a couple of quick recommendations for you. Uh, opening weekend, Columbus, Ohio State, Notre Dame is a great game to go to, but best stadium to go to, in my opinion. Uh, I'll give you one in the SEC. Bring it. Baton Rouge. Oh, we can't wait to do that. VR. And then, the, aesthetically, the best place to watch a football game, in my opinion, Seattle, Washington, Husky Stadium. Really? Backdrop of Lake Washington, nothing like it. Wow. Uh, you, let's go, stay in the Pac-12. Yeah. And tell me about Kayvon Thibodeau, because I know he's on your A-listers here. I thought last year, if he'd come out, he might have been number one, number two. He might slip a little bit this year. Yeah, if Lawrence isn't there as a number one pick, I think he would have been. You know, people are criticizing him. They're questioning his love for football. I can tell you right now, for three years, this guy has wreaked havoc on the offensive lines across the Pac-12. I love him. I think he's a difference maker. Um you know, Chase Young got off to a good rookie year, had a bad year last year. Thibodeau kind of compares to him a little bit. I, I think he's an absolute difference maker. I don't understand this love for Aiden Hutchison. I went through Hutchison's stats. Dave, outside of three games last year throughout his career, hasn't put up great numbers. Mm-hmm. I think Thibodeau is in that mold of a J.J. Watt, T.J. Watt, um, Bosa's, uh, Chase Young type of player, a difference maker. I, I like him a lot. I think he's going to be impactful. want to stay in the Pac-12. Linebacker, inside linebacker, Devin Lloyd, mm. Utah. I, I love this kid. He plays sideline to sideline, is a sure tackler. I just don't think he got enough respect because he plays in the mountain time zone. Mm-hmm. Really a tremendous, tremendous player. Love him, and I think he's going to be very impactful at the next level. Can I ask you to go back to Thibodeau for one yeah, second? Because you mentioned something there, my antenna goes up where the question is, does he love the game of football? Because yeah. I think of Jadavion Clowney, Steve Spurrier, when he was the head coach at SC, he said, Jadavion's going to play when Jadavion wants to play. Right? And that was kind of that famous quote of like, oh, does he want to play? Well, when he wants to play, he's the best player in the game. 
And then when he doesn't want to play, you don't know what you're going to get. Is that a, a true concern here with Thibodeau? For me, it's not. I thought the guy's battled injury and he's come through it. You know, the problem between the end of the regular season of college football and then the draft process until the draft, everybody nitpicks everything. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody says one thing. You know, if he says it's cold in Buffalo, oh, he doesn't want to play in Buffalo. No, he just said it's cold in Buffalo. He's stating the obvious. You know what I mean? So, to me, I think there's an overreaction so many times with these players along the way. All right, let's go back to your A-listers here. And you got a couple guys from the Big Ten to round out your group. Yeah, I love Jahan Dotson from uh, Penn State. Thought he's undersized. But great slot receiver. I think he's got great toughness. Is really good in terms of catching the ball in uh, when he basically when he's got to compete for the ball in the air. Uh, I think he's going to be a difference maker. I thought he didn't have the right quarterback to get him the ball. I thought he was capable of winning the Bolitnikoff. Mm. If they had more consistency at the quarterback position, like him a lot. And then finally, from Michigan, you like Dax Hill. I really do. He's probably not going to go in the first round because of his safety. And I know a lot of people are pointing towards Kyle Hamilton. I think he's going to be really good. He's rangy, uh, Hamilton is. But I think Dax Hill's a guy that can surprise a lot of people. I thought he flew under the radar for Michigan's defense this year. Didn't get enough credit for the type of player he is because it went to Ajabo and, of course, to Hutchison, rightfully so. But watch out for Dax Hill. I think he could be a good value pick for somebody in the second round. You know, and I'm looking at that safety position. We talked about it a little bit in the first half. Are kind of that corners might not be yes you still want to have top five corners safety position might come back a little bit in this draft yeah. because of Hamilton at Notre Dame clearly he's going to be a top 10 guy so we'll see where, where Dax Hill goes but I kind of like that makeup there and my Cowboys need a safety just saying Cowboys need a lot need a lot when we come back we will update uh, what's going on at Augusta and right now it is still all about Scotty Sheffield we'll take a look at Major League Baseball as well come on back betting across America right here in VC the sports betting network 